0: We actually have a special treat this morning. Uh, We have a a guest presenter, uh, Jason Soschnick. Uh, Jason, uh, I I began to get to know him a few years ago um, uh, through. We've uh, done some, uh, he's helped us uh, run an event here at our church called P4 that we just kind of finished, and he's given some uh, mentoring and leadership uh, uh, through that process. And Jason also, uh, he's the founder of uh, an organization in town called Project 619, which exists to promote biblical uh, sexuality uh, uh, through various means of education in schools, with families in the local church, and in community uh, And here in Spokane and around the nation as well. And so he is a wonderful guy. He has a lot to say. I'm really excited. He loves Jesus. And most of all, um, uh, he... uh, Uh, has a lot to give us this morning so with that uh, why don't we welcome up uh, jason this morning well good good morning it's uh it's great to be here uh i always enjoy when a church takes on the subjects of sex and sexuality and relationship um it's it's the core of what we do at project 619 and uh, you, you've done a great job. I, I get the, the, the privilege of speaking on one of two subjects we don't speak of very often in the church, uh, that being today, singleness, but you already tackled pornography, so um, good for you. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I find is, is we, a lot of times, are afraid to engage in these conversations, and what our ministry does is challenges uh, churches and families and schools to engage in this in an honest and Christ-centered way. And so we've been able to do that. Now, uh, today I'm gonna tackle the subject of singleness, and I'm I'm gonna make some assumptions. I'm gonna assume that many of you in here are either pursuing or already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, I still welcome you to engage in the information because I think that it can be life-giving regardless. But I'm assuming that. But I'm also wanting to say this because I know that if you're married, Or older you might think well singleness it doesn't really apply to me (laughs) Um, now I want to say this is that our message today is going to be one regardless of your life circumstances that I think applies to all of us and when I say single I'm not just talking about those that aren't married yet or haven't been married I'm talking about those that are divorced those that have been widowed I I want for us as a community today to engage in an honest way now let me just say this. I, I spent most of my life uh, being single. Uh, it's easy to say that in my 20s, I was, I was a sexually frustrated Christian, um, which is very true. And some of you are, are uh, uh, very quietly laughing because you, you might know that, that that can be true, especially in today's culture. But, but the reality was, I made a choice when I was 16 to become sexually active, but I made a choice to start over when I was 21. And it was because of something that radically happened in my life, and that was recognizing the power of Jesus Christ, recognizing that he was greater than any life circumstance that I had. And it was through that relationship that a lot of uh, the ways that I saw sex and sexuality and relationship changed. I went on a journey because so often the way in which these conversations were framed were more about regulations and rules than they were out of the heart of a relationship that is offered to us. So i'm thankful today that we get a chance to do that now today what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you a little idea of what singleness looks like today because it has drastically changed from the time that i was single even just a a few years ago i've been married now six years this month Um, but i I spent most of my life single and and i spent most of my life uh, as a ministry leader um, being single and so i'm going to speak from that but then um, i I want to give a word to those that are single then i want to give a word to those that are married Uh, Because I think that God, in his uh, wisdom through scripture, speaks to us. So I'm excited that we get this chance to do this. Now, um, I spent most of my life as a single person, and most of the conversations I heard around sex typically were a little bit cheesy. Um, I I heard some really horrible things. Sometimes when I thought of sex, I I always felt like it was like this thing that was really gross and bad until you got married and then you could have it. And it was like, yay, wow. (laughs) Wow. But what we find in Scripture and what we've been learning is that God actually speaks a lot about this gift and that there is a lot to celebrate. As you can tell, I'm a little bit excited when I start speaking about this, and that's okay. As we all should, no matter our life circumstance, there is something that that is true about God's Word when it comes to this subject. and So I'm excited as a congregation we get to dive into that. Now, let me start with what the world of singles looks like today. Um, It is vastly different from... What many of us might have even known five years ago. Now I'm 40 years old, um, which, by the way, on the balloons it says I'm over the hill. So um, <laughs> there you go. Um, I remember as a teenager seeing "Over the Hill" and thinking, "Oh man, I do not want to turn 40." And I, I just want to like look back and find myself in one of the party supply stores when I saw the "Over the Hill" and 40 as a teenager and be like, "Dude, you're not over the hill." And I can see my teenage self being like, "No, you're over the hill." So um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, right? Like it, but, but from the time I was a teenager in my 20s and even early 30s, um, the single scene has drastically changed, both in the church and definitely outside of the church. I mean, think a, a, about the smartphone. The smartphone is 24-hour access. It acts as a singles bar for many singles. You have apps, Tinder, which you can swipe right and swipe left depending on who you like and who you don't like. You can go online, OKCupid, okay, Match.com, Christian Singles or ChristianMingles.com, which I still find a little bit creepy at times. But, um, but there is something that we find, a resource that's available to us to be able to, to maximize. Because I think that one of the things that's different from any other generation that this generation is doing is looking for the best option, because their options are limitless. You know, when I was growing up and I was dating, I, I, I felt confident if I had one or two choices. Today, uh, singles, when they go online, have thousands of choices. And I think that also then leads to the reality that most singles today are looking for a soulmate because they think that they can find it in the midst of thousands. They are maximizers. The other thing that we find uh, when it comes to, to singles, especially within the Christian market, is that most information for singles is catered uh, uh, not to them, but to their married friends. In fact, if you go into a Christian bookstore, most books are for married individuals. In fact, for every one single book in the Christian bookstore, you have a roughly around 290 to 300 books for married individuals. We don't have a lot of resources about being single. And honestly, that's heartbreaking. As someone that spent most of his life as being single, it's, it's, it's really confusing because I, I see that those that are single have so much to offer the church, yet so often we're placed on the margins. And so I'm, I'm glad that we have an opportunity to, to dive into this. I'll start here. So what does um, God say to those of us that are single? Well, first, I'd say this. Uh, what we find it starts with Paul, who, by the way, was single. And he says this, I wish that all of you were as I am, that being single. Oh, by the way, um, uh, Paul and Jesus, they were both single, right? We we often forget that. But also, um, I love superhero comics. And, And I don't know if you recognize this, but like almost every superhero is not married right? Like they are doing something and, and they are, are, are meeting a need. They are fighting against injustices, yet they are single. Why? Because every time if you look at Spider-Man or you look at love interests of Captain America, or th- they're always like, oh man, you don't understand my life, right? Because they're busy, busy fighting crime. If Spider-Man, by the way, um, whenever marriage was introduced, which was one time, uh, soon after they got married, the um, arc of the story changed and no longer was he married. So I don't know how that works, but... There is greatness that can come in our singleness, yes, and also being married. But we have to understand that that even Paul here is saying something great about our singleness. He's saying it's a gift, but each of you has your own gift from God. And one has this gift and another has that. This gift, when you translate it, the word itself is something to be graciously given. And I know that for many of us who are single think, I did not choose this gift. Right, like, like there, there is something to singleness. We think, oh man, I did not choose this. Um, and the reality is, this gift can be um, both good and bad. It can have its great days when you just want to hop in a car and drive somewhere, and you don't have to worry about dirty diapers uh, <laughs> or any of the other things that come along with families and kids. Or it's bad days when you yearn and long for that kind of relationship. You know. Um, we have to understand that in our singleness, and much like what Paul is talking about here, we have the opportunity to devote ourselves fully to God. So often we're looking to the future rather than just being in the present. God is wanting to do something with each and every one of you now, regardless if you're single or married. But especially if you're single, you are able to do so much. And so often you think well, the word is, well, if you're single, you can travel and do missions and do el- nah. No. God can use you right where you're at. You don't have to leave. Life Center North needs singles diving into the life of this congregation, speaking truth. One of my um, heroes in the Christian faith is John Stott. John Stott was a British pastor. I have learned so much from John Stott, but John Stott was a single man. John Stott had a ton of time available to him to devote to fully serving the Lord, and he used it to his advantage. His married friends would often say, there is no way we can compete with the output of what he is doing. We could not travel like he does. We could not have the time needed to study and really dive into God's word the way that he has. He accepted where he was at and used it to honor God. He saw it as a gift and he used it as such. There are individuals in churches when I travel, and, and I get a chance to see some great churches around the country. Some of my favorite youth workers are those that volunteer, those that are divorced and widowed. Why? Because they are taking life experiences so vastly different, and they are pouring into the life of these students who need to understand the richness of Christ in and through all of life's circumstances. So I'm, I am incredibly enriched when I have opportunity to meet individuals that are able to use that to God's glory. The second thing is this. Um, we oftentimes um, in church treat marriage as the end goal. It's like, you are married. Whoa! Right, Like, like it, it's like all of a sudden, it, it, it is this wonderful thing. And then we also treat it as it's a sign of maturity. There are a lot of people I know that are married that are not mature. So, so you have to understand that, that it is not the end-all be-all goal. It is not the ultimate sign of love. However, that is often the way that we express it, discuss it, engage it. The ultimate expression of love we find, again, from Paul. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, writes these words. Love is kind and it's patient. It is not envious. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily enraged. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And notice he does not say, and is always married. <laughs> right? No. No. We miss something when we, when we make marriage the ultimate sign of love. In fact, if we are pursuing marriage, we are pursuing the wrong thing because love then becomes subservient to marriage. There, there is some, I, I spent an uh, uh, early part of my 20s pursuing marriage, not pursuing love. You know, even in Ephesians, when Paul is writing there, Uh, he is speaking about marriage in in chapter 5, and his, his idea of love in that is sacrificial. It's something that is not just happening in the marriage, but more importantly, outside of the marriage, that you then bring back into the marriage. See, we have to understand that there is something much more than the goal of only being married, because there is so much more for us, especially for those of you that are single. Like I said earlier, God wants to use you in the present. Well, then we also have to think about this. Our concept of waiting, you know, the last three weeks you've had conversations around God's design for sex. And what we find in the early, uh, early part of Scripture, the very first chapter, very, uh, two chap- first two chapters of Scripture speak of God's design not only for creation but also includes sex. We were sexual before we were ever sinful. Genesis 1, Genesis 2 come before Genesis 3. We often forget that. We have to, as singles, recognize that, that, that there is something so much more to waiting than just waiting. <laughs> because so often, the way in which we talk about it is not fully what God hopes for. If you ask any, um, anyone that's, that's single or under the age of 30, and you ask them the word wait and what comes to mind, most of the connotations are negative. Blah. <laughs> right? Like, wait? Uh, I do not want that. Why? There's this hallway uh, at Whitworth. I graduated from Whitworth, and, and I remember in college, it was the hallway where we loved as a student because we would try to see who was going to be the first to get the professor to come outside and say, quiet down. <laughs> I walk down that hallway now. Anyone have any idea what the students are doing in the hallway between classes? Looking at their phone. This is one of the quietest hallways ever. And yet we used to have pranks and, and we used to have bets to see who could get the first one to get a professor out. See, what we have done with the idea of waiting is, is unfortunately, as a church as a whole, we, we've responded to the culture's definition of sex. Sex in the culture is um, do it whenever, with whomever, however. And so what does the church do? We put rules around and we say, no, don't, bad. <laughs> Marriage, good. <laughs> right? Like, like we, we switch it up, but here's the thing. Here's the thing you've been learning the last three weeks. You've been learning something beautiful about what sex is, especially as it's defined in Scripture, because in Scripture it is about unity, oneness. It, there is power. There is procreation. You are creating new life. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Right? Like, Like, there's also protection. Yes, there is boundary, but it comes out of something that is designed for something so much more than the way that we often talk about it. The church has a lot to offer when it comes to this definition, yet we do not discuss it because we have not been consistent in the way that we speak this. See in the church, uh, a lot of times what we can do, whether we know it or not, is speak about sex is you hold on to your virginity. See in virginity then you keep community. And then in the community, because you have chosen to do something, you would then have a relationship with Christ. It's workspace, but that is not what we find in scripture. So imagine this, you have sex outside of marriage, what happens to this model? It crumbles because you don't have a perception of Christ based upon loving you for who you are, your identity is built upon what you are doing rather than what has already been done. See, here's what happens in the second model, which is we place Christ first. And this is what I found in my 20s. You place Christ first, you get community. And when Christ is at the center of it, we are forgiven. We all are sexually broken and recognize we need Christ, which gives us community built upon and centered around Jesus this relationship that is offered to us. And then what it allows for us to do is to walk in obedience and to be honest. In my 20s, I learned something that was so drastically important. From the time I was 21 to the time I was 34, I made a choice to wait to have sex. I didn't do it by having a bunch of rules. I did it by being honest. I used to, I remember, I, I, like, it's not like I stayed inside until I met my wife, and it's like, <laughs> ah, I hope I meet my wife someday, right? Like, We act like that. But no, I went out. And you know what I did? As I was honest, I would say, Lord, I really want to have sex. But Lord, I want to honor you. Why do I want to honor you? I know that you love me. We love because he first loved us. And I want to honor you. You are greater than. I I want to honor you. And so what did I do? I, I made a choice to follow him. I walked in obedience. Doesn't mean I always did it right. But I will tell you this. I was able to make that choice. It was not easy. But because I put him first, it put everything else in perspective. It changed the way that I lived my life. It changed the way that I saw waiting. And here's the last bit. I don't know your story, but I do know this. The way we talk about sin has to change. Sin has a tremendous amount of power to, help, uh, to, 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 to move us into hiding. That's what sin does in the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? They hide. 1 Corinthians 6, before 7, Paul is writing about the power of sex and sexuality. And what does he say? He does not say fight sexual immorality. No, he says flee, run. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what does he do? He says run, flee, get away. So often our language is one of like fight, all right, I got you, Satan. (laughs) Here's the deal. Satan doesn't just attack you in your weaknesses. He attacks you in your strengths. And so Paul knows this. And what does he say? He says, flee, run. Here's what happens in most of the accountability groups that I've been a part of. We focus on sin. We say, no, 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 bad. And so we get together and we're like, hey, did you look at porn this week? Yeah, bad. That was no sin. That's how we talk about it. So the boundaries that we set are all around what we don't want to do. And I remember one time i said we've got to change this this isn't the way we we see jesus engaging sin and 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 scripture and it shouldn't be the way that we engage one another what does he do it's about falling in love with the father for me actions began to change as i started to pursue jesus and run away from the sin that's what scripture is saying here flee right when you say no 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 that's where you go where you run to is your identity And we as a group said, let's run to Jesus. Let's grow in a relationship with Jesus. I want to fall more in love with you. And as I do that, the action, the sin begins to change. It falls away. This has happened with more of the groups that I've been a part of. Because I say, what are we here for? Well, we're here because we want to become men that follow Jesus. Well, then let's focus on that. Let's focus on the bigger yes, rather than the small no. Because so often what we do is we focus on the no and we forget about the larger yes, which is Jesus, which is the relationship we have available in him. Let's run to Jesus. Let that be our identity. And also that, that, that when you do that, it changes the way that we um, have conversations around um, how far is too far, really, which is the question of like how much can I get away with? Um, because it's like how much sin can I allow in my life? Like. You know, if that's your question, then, like, and if you're always about no to sin, then, then, like, I'm sorry, but you're more often than not going to fail. What if you'd said, how holy do I want to make this? How do we allow Jesus to be, and I I used to, when I was single, I used to be like, oh, that sounds so cheesy, making Jesus the sinner. But as Jesus became the sinner, I began to live my life, and he began to be reflected in my life in different and more viable and powerful ways. His kingdom was expanded through that. I believe that. Well, that's for us or for those of you that are single. I, I, I want to, though, uh, speak to those of us that are married because I, I think that we have to understand that, that there are words for us to understand when it comes to being married because here's what, what we, we have to understand if you're married. You have privilege. In the church, you have privilege. We need to do a better job of bringing singles into the mix. We need to do a better job of listening, of allowing them to engage in family camps, to engage in leadership. I can't tell you how many times I've been turned down um, or or I've been invited into a circle only to be turned down to speak when I was single because I wasn't married. And we were speaking to single people. It was like we were going to speak to single people, yet they didn't want me to be a part of it because they thought it was too much of a burden. And I thought, no, why? We have got to create a space for those that are single, because I, I think that's really important. We've got to understand the privilege that we, we, we have. So how do we create that? We create community. And we have to understand that by, one, recognizing we are built for relationship. Genesis 1:27, it says what? We are made in the image of God. He created a male and female. And when you are made in the image of something, you have to recognize You take on parts of who that is. Think about this. If you were made in the image of God, God is spoken of in three parts, right? God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God was in relationship with himself before he ever created human beings. Relationship is part of our DNA. We've got to find a way to be in relationship in the vast group that we share and call church, married, and singles, It's a beautiful and wonderful picture when that starts to come together and coalesce. I've heard stories of Life Center North of people that have been impacted and influenced because you are doing this. As I was preparing, I was talking to singles. I had one friend that talked about divorce care that they got. How beautiful is that? We have to be able to find ways to be able to bridge those gaps. Then I also think that there's this. Uh, we have to be able to understand that, that scripture also calls us into community to keep us um, uh, 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 or give voice to approval and to accountability. And we see this in uh, one of my favorite books called Song of Songs. It should come with a parental advisory. Um, I mean, it's, it's an incredibly erotic book. Um, and and um, <laughs> some of you are like, really? <laughs> Yeah, it's in the Bible. I mean, uh, we're one of the only faiths that actually has an entire book of the Bible dedicated to, to um, what is God's design for sex, specifically in marriage. See, what we find in Song of Songs is we see four people, four audiences. We, we see the, this woman, the Shulamite. We see the, the, the husband and the husband-to-be. We see um, uh, God, and then we see um, what are referred to as the daughters of Jerusalem, the friends. And see, we get to be Friends. See, I think we need to be able to speak into the lives of those we see see around us, both married to singles and singles to married. and, and like I, We have to be able to give permission for this. I, I like how, how this, this um, in Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 4, is spoken. She, the Shulamite, says this, Take me away with you, let us hurry, take the king, uh, bring me into his chambers. And then her friends say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise and love you more than wine. There is approval from the friends. Yes, he is good. She has just kind of essentially said, man, there is something about the love that we make. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And she's speaking of the praises, and her friends are like, yes, there will be a time for that. But we are, we are grateful, and we are excited for what this relationship means. You are giving approval. So often we do things in isolation. We need to be able to find ways to do things in community. <laughs> what, one of the, the weirdest moments and also one of the best moments I ever had in church. I was dating someone, and uh, one of the elders in the church came up to me afterwards because I'd had my arm around, around her and, and said, Hey, I, I, I he grabbed my shoulders, and I, I didn't know him that well. And uh, uh, he goes, Hey, I just want to know how things are sexually in your relationship. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Jason. Nice to meet you. I, I think that you're one of my elders. Um, that's awesome. Uh, but you know what? It, it was an awkward, but it was, it was one of those moments where I was really grateful. Because we don't do that. But yeah, if we're going to be a church that really wants to be able to embrace all, we've got to find ways to be able to do it. Because what do we talk about church being? A family. What does family do? They not only approve, but they hold accountable. And we see that again in Song of Songs. In chapter uh, 1, a few verses later, it's the girl that says, Tell me whom I love, where you graze, where you flock, where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like the veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Essentially, she's asking for direction. And what do her friends do? If you do not know the most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze young goats by the tents of the shepherds. She is seeking advice from her friends. That's what we have the opportunity to do. I'm reminded of something in, in, in uh, the beginning of uh, the, the story of uh, creation and then the fall. In Genesis 3:9, it actually does this thing where, um, where Adam and Eve are hiding. And so often I think that we think that it's they that go looking for God, but no, it's God that comes looking for them. And he asks this question, where are you? And Jesus does this with Peter, essentially, when he's restoring them on the beach. Maybe we just need to be a people that says, hey, where are you? That is, we're we're being used where God has us. We're just asking, where are you? Being present is one of the most important and powerful gifts we can give. You know, um, as I close, I'll share one last story. Um, There was a study that was done several years ago. um, And uh, it was a psychologist, and he asked 300 people, what do you live for? What do you have to live for? And 9 out of 10 were simply waiting for something to happen, a better job, new house, trip, etc. They were putting in time while they waited for an uncertain tomorrow. But as Christians, our mentality should be that of Paul, that time is short and eternity is just ahead. It gives us an opportunity to be present. It gives us an opportunity to be used, to recognize the place that we have been set can be a gift that has been graciously giving, given. Is that how you see the circumstances in which you are currently. If God has blessed you with a family, awesome. If he's not, there is hope in Jesus. Not in the future family. Yes, if God blesses you with that, awesome. But be used by God where you are right now. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your community today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into a series about sex and sexuality but recognizing, Lord Jesus, you are greater than all of that. There is someone to look to in the midst of our celebrations and our joys, our hurt and our pain, our shame. May you, through your light, penetrate into any darkness that that needs to be revealed in our life. And because of that, your kingdom be expanded. We are incredibly grateful for this opportunity. We do not take it lightly. Be with us as we leave this place now. It's in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right now right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.